Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to Hey Horka on the Blue and Gold YouTube channel on this Tuesday, November the 14th of 2023. We are in Wake Forest week, the final home game for the Fighting Irish this year, as they take on the 4-6 and six Demon Deacons 500th game at Notre Dame Stadium this Saturday, 3.30 kickoff. My name is Darren Pritchett from Sports Radio 960 WSBT in South Bend. He, of course, is Tyler Horka, the Notre Dame football beat reporter at Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. 31 seniors will be honored on Saturday. Who knows how many of those will come back. And I'm going to be really interested to see the mood of the stadium with all the big goals gone, Tyler. They're 7-3. and three. And the Irish are coming up that loss to Clemson a week and a half ago. I, I just wonder what the what the buzz is going to be like in that stadium on Saturday. Yeah, it's interesting because if they get the win on Saturday, they will be an eight and three football team for the second year in a row coming off of senior day. So you're looking at it and you're like, well, why isn't there going to be much of an ambiance in the stadium? Because it's, you know, the same situation from one year to the next. But I think context matters. The way that you get to that record matters. Like you said, you're coming off a disappointing loss to Clemson as opposed to last year around the same time. You're coming off an emphatic victory over Clemson, a Clemson team at that point that was undefeated. This year's Clemson team was 4-4. Four and four. And if you beat those guys, they're they're a losing football team. The only reason they're, they're a winning football team is because you let them beat you. So I think the bye week takes a little bit of interest out from the fans too because they, they sat back last week and they were able to watch games at home and they were like, hey, we don't have to worry about Notre Dame losing a football game today. I don't think you have to worry about that with Wake Forest, but you do have to worry about trying to get up for a game that is very hard to get up for because this Wake Forest team – is also a losing football team. Like you said, the, the college football playoff isn't in front of this team. We knew that a long time ago. But now the New Year's Six is not even in front of this team, and you can't win 10 regular season games anymore. So I'm with you. At least the weather's not going to be as bad as it was for Boston College. So maybe it'll be sunny in mid-40s, maybe even touch 50 on Saturday. But then again, if you're a fan who likes that quintessential cold weather game at the end of November in South Bend, you're not even going to get that this year. So, yeah, I'm kind of with you, Darren. What what do you get in this game? Not a whole lot. It feels like another one of those go through the motions, just win, and move on to Stanford type of weeks. Yeah, it's, it is one of those probably back-to-back weeks where you're supposed to win, and if you win, you get a little credit for it. Yeah. And if the game's close, then, then that's when the conversation yeah. will begin again. It's almost like this. you can't win, right? 
It's almost like you can't win. It's like there's no win-win scenario. Yeah, yeah, there's no doubt. That's what happens when you're the much better team on paper taking on what appears to be two weaker opponents. All right, we're going to get to some Hey Horka questions in just a moment, but this is the final home game weekend of 2023, and for people coming from out of town to South Bend, maybe their last chance before Christmas to stop by Augie's. Yeah, and what a place that is to stop in before Christmas because if you've got some uh, family members, some relatives who are big Notre Dame fans, or maybe you're looking to treat yourself a little bit and this is your last opportunity to get to South Bend before the holidays, you've got to stop by Augie's Locker Room. But you should know that Augie's Locker Room has a brand new location. He's having a grand opening celebration the weekend of the Wake Forest game, so that is this weekend, obviously. A uh, lot of cool prizes, free giveaways, much more going to be going on at Augie's Locker Room. The new location, not too far away from the old one. It's located at 1733, 1733 North Ironwood Drive in South Bend. Again, right down the street from the old location, right down the street from Notre Dame. So if you are going to Augie's Locker Room, this final game of the 2023 2023 Notre Dame football season, got to make time to get to Augie's Locker Room. A lot of Notre Dame Stadium pieces, jerseys, helmets, autographs, one-of-a-kind Rockney items. You can find exclusive Joe Montana signed items and famous sculptor Jerry McKenna's replicas of the bronze statues around the stadium. Augie gets new items all the time. If he doesn't have it in his, in his store, he will find it for you. Again, visit Augie at his new location, 1733 North Ironwood Drive in South Bend, and see the vintage helmets helmet display dating back to 1890. He's got some amazing items. You want to see them. Go to his new location. Go to his website. If you're watching on YouTube, that's what you'll find right there. AugieLockerRoom.com and give him a call at 574-277-6363. And I imagine that if uh, we don't have a lot of Notre Dame basketball or hockey fans on here, which I'm sure we do, but obviously football is a bigger sport. This might be the last time that we see a lot of people in South Bend for a while. So, I mean, it coincides with an awesome new grand opening, new location for Augie's Locker Room. So you guys got to go check that out. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, Tyler Horka, Darren Pritchett with you. Hey, Horka, before the Wake Forest game, we've got a couple of questions picked out for tonight. Hey, Horka, we'll begin with one from Aerofan624. And Tyler, he wants to know, how much blame should Marcus Freeman get for Notre Dame's offensive struggles? He's the top guy. He's the head man. And the more that I've thought about this question, and I started thinking about it even before Aerofan asked it at the blueandgold.com message board. I think there's a lot to be said for having a head coach who's not yet 40 years old, who exclusively only did things on the defensive side of the ball his entire coaching career to this point. I would say it's more correlation than coincidence that the Notre Dame offense looks like this, especially in a year where you don't have an offensive coordinator who has been doing this for a long time, say what you want about Tommy Reese. 
was he, was he a little bit of a saving grace for the Notre Dame offense last year, considering the position that it was in? He got the most out of Drew Pine. I think you could honestly ask for And do, do you think Jared Parker would be getting, if you put Jared Parker in that situation, would he have gotten that much out of Drew Pine? I'll stand by what I've said. Going into next year, you can't have a combination of Parker and an inexperienced quarterback because I just don't – that's that's testing fate. So I think Marcus Freeman tested fate a little bit just by hiring Parker. And I know that basically that was his third option, right? Is that what we're going to call it? Andy Ludwig, Colin Klein, and then it was okay. We're going to promote Jared Parker. So you can't blame Marcus Freeman wholly for that. And I think – uh, be right 504 here uh, before the show even started, put in a comment and said, didn't get much. Marcus didn't get much help from the administration looking for an OC. Parker wasn't his first choice, wasn't second choice. I just said that, um, but he's still the head coach. So I'm going to say 50% at fault. That's all from be right 504. Again, I don't know if I'm going to say 50% at fault, but the more I think about it, Darren, the more that I can assign more and more blame to Marcus Freeman because, and I know you're a proponent of what I'm about to say, the way that he's speaking at these press conferences makes it sound like he doesn't fully grasp the offensive operation and how to oversee it. And the more and more that I'm reading into it and looking at it, I I think that plays a part in this. Like if we had Brian Kelly at Notre Dame right now, he would have put a foot down a long time ago and said, hey, what the heck is going on on that side of the ball? And he would have had some tips, some hey, – here's what I think we should be doing. I don't think Marcus Freeman is in – and he he knows who he is. He understands himself. He's not in a position to do that because he's never had to, and I think that matters. Yeah, one thing that someone within the program told me earlier this year, the one thing about Brian Kelly, like him or not, going into a week – He always said, we need to do this, this, and this. So he laid it out for Tommy Reese what he wanted out of the offense. I don't know what happens under Marcus Freeman. I I don't have a great grasp of how much input he puts. Is this just Jared Parker doing his thing? You know, I I honestly don't know. I'm sure it's all the offensive coaches work together at the very least. But, you know, you put it best. Everything goes through the head coach whether it's the play of the offense, the play of the defense. If one of your individuals are stealing signs illegally, you're responsible for what is going on within the program. I think Marcus is really good at being willing to be open-minded and look at everything. But I do, I, I do think that when your head coach can't contribute a lot with the fixing on offense, that that puts a lot on the offensive coaching staff and an inexperienced offensive coordinator. So I just think it probably years from now when maybe Notre Dame goes through this again with a first-time head coach, I hope the people in our shoes are going to be saying you cannot have an inexperienced coordinators to go along with a first-time head coach. It's just a combination that has not worked in the past and, it's led to a lot of frustrations this year, and it's led to inconsistent offense, I think, throughout this entire season. And, and you're right. The, I, I will say this, Tyler. Monday's press conference was deflating for me because I was hoping to get answers to help 
us understand what's wrong with the offense. And instead of getting answers, we were getting questions back. Like when Marcus was asked about in-game adjustments, he was asking questions back. When you asked about estimate, I mean, there were some great questions asked. I think the media asked everything that should have been asked. But what did we really learn on Monday? It just feels like status quo. It's execution. Why are these plays not working? What do we need to do to make these plays? It's never, let's rethink what we're doing offensively. Let's think about maybe we're being too predictable on offense. Maybe the lack of a play-action game against Clemson did not provide them all the opportunities to move the ball. But it always just seems to come back to execution, Tyler. And that, to me, is just very deflating for someone that covers the team and wants to be able to explain to my radio listeners and, and your readers exactly what in the world's going on, how it's going to get fixed. We just, we're nowhere closer to those answers. Yeah. I think we asked everything that needed to be asked shy yes. of what Andrew Gilmore just asked us uh, with a four ninety dollars 99 $4.99 super chat. Is Parker coming back? You can't just flat ask the coach that. So we asked everything that we needed to shy of that. But that is the elephant in the room. Because I think even with what Marcus Freeman was saying on Monday, there's a part of him, as much as he likes Jared Parker, as much as he wanted Jared Parker to work out because they coached together in the past. Like this is the perfect situation for both of them if it works out. I think with each passing game, there's a part of Marcus Freeman that knows hey, maybe this isn't working out. And this question right there that Andrew Gilmore just asked, is he coming back, even though it feels that way, which was what Andrew said. Um, I'm not sure. And I said this at blueandgold.com today. If we have a head coach here who keeps saying, you only get 12 guaranteed opportunities, each Saturday is one of those opportunities. Darren, these next two Saturdays, that's 16.7% of those opportunities that he's talking about. That's not insignificant. That's a substantial part of the season. And I know it's Wake Forest and it's Stanford and the record are seven and three and you're not going to the CFP and you're not going to the New Year's Six. So what does it matter? Who cares? But this is a head coach that's saying 12 Saturdays, 12 opportunities. There's two left. 16.7% of the season. If this Notre Dame offense – struggles to gain 300 yards, struggles to stay. And they're not going to struggle to stay in a game because I, I think they're going to beat these two teams. But if it's at the expense of the offense, if you're beating those two teams because the defense and the special teams does enough to win the games and, and those are the better sides of the ball. I mean, Andrew Gilmore said on the super chat there, the bye week was the perfect time to do it. Maybe so. But if there's a second best time to do it, it'd be after that Stanford game. Before signing day, the early signing period, before the bowl game, get everybody moving on the same rope. You give yourself time to do an offensive coordinator search with that as well. Notre Dame was doing an offensive coordinator search at the end of January. Was it even February? Did Tommy Reese leave in February? I mean, it was late, late, late in the ball game. If that's the direction that this thing is going, which I still think there's a chance, even with what we heard on Monday, it sounds like Freeman's still in on Parker. He thinks that this can work. I get it. That's his guy. He wants it to work. That's the best for everybody if it does. But if it doesn't, you've got to cut bait sooner than later. And I think that's when it would be after these 
16.7% of the season that's remaining here. He's got to evaluate. Does he not, Darren? He's got to look at these games and you better beat Wake Forest by a lot. You better beat Stanford by a lot because if you don't, and if it's not the offense that's doing it, what gives you any sense, Darren? I'm going to ask you this, that 2024 with Jared Parker is going to be better than 2023. Do you have a sense? No. I I left that press conference, as I said, kind of defeated, deflated. And based on what I heard on Monday, I am fully convinced Parker will be back in his same position unless someone above Marcus Freeman forces a change. I, there's just so much being said by the head coach never mentioning the offensive coordinator. I mean, direct questions were asked about – Parker and it always gets deflected in another direction. And, you know, from what I hear that Marcus is fully in support of what Parker's doing. And if that's the case, I mean, why, why is the next two weeks going to change his mind or, or the bowl game? So that, that press conference just to me said, he's going to be back and maybe someone above will change that, but, I just don't see it. And you know what, Tyler, at this point, as we said, Marcus is asking a lot of questions back when he answers the question. We're in week 10. If you don't have the answers by now, are we really going to get them by playing Wake Forest and Stanford? I think some issues may get disguised by the opposition the next two weeks. And this is like everybody always says you have to give the head coach time. And I get that because you do like Marcus Freeman's not on the hot seat by any means. Not yet. But do you have to give, I'm asking you another question, kind of putting you on the spot again. Do you have to give coordinators time? Do you, do you think that you have to give coordinators time or do do we know through 10 games enough that Jared Parker is not the guy or does he need time? A genuine question. Based on everyone I talk to people in the business I mean, everybody says Notre Dame is too predictable on offense and they misuse their personnel. That's not me saying that. That's just people I talk to, and that's the consistent answer that I get. So, I mean, if that is reality, why is that going to change magically over the next few months before we get spring practice underway and ultimately going down to Texas A&M? to open the season. I mean, you hired experience in Al Golden and look what you got. I mean, you got what you were looking for, a defense that was capable of being a playoff caliber defense this year. And unfortunately, offensively, it's just not even a 12-team playoff caliber offense. And, you know, I was thinking about this, Tyler, today, and I brought this up on my radio show, you think about last year, they won a bowl game to get to nine and four. Mm-hmm. And this is my opinion. I don't believe there was truly a power five conference starting quarterback on that roster. Maybe there was a Sun Belt or a Mac quarterback starter, but in terms of a power five quarterback, I don't think there was a starting quarterback on that roster, that caliber. You won nine games, which again, Tommy deserves a lot of credit for getting the most out of Drew Pine. Just imagine if you win these next two and then you lose the bowl game. What's your record? 
nine and four with a quarterback that threw 109 touchdown passes at Wake Forest. And that's why I go back to last week when you asked, or a listener or a viewer asked the question, is this season a failure? I go, I'm not going to call it a failure, but we've taken a step back from the day Brian Kelly walked out the door. And now you got to regain that momentum and hopefully eventually, you know, pass that. But right now we've taken a step back. Yeah. I mean, if this thing ends nine and four, which is a serious possibility because you don't know who you're going to play in that bowl game. It could be LSU. Tennessee. And Jade. And Daniels could be playing, and yeah, either one of those quarterbacks could light you up as good as your defense is. You, you might not be able to stay with a team like that. That's what the bowl season's for, for pitting teams like that against each other. And that's why in that conversation uh, that we had last week, Darren, where I, I think at the very end of that video, we were talking about, will the bowl game matter at all? What do you take away from the bowl game? And I brought up the idea of the final record mattering a little bit because in a couple of years, when you look at Notre Dame in 2022 and you look at Notre Dame in 2023 and you forget how they got to nine and four, but you see back to back nine and four. And that's how you remember that the Marcus Freeman era started. I mean, it might be over in a couple of years if it goes nine and four or nine and four, let's be honest. I think that matters. I, I, I really think that this team to salvage any little piece of 2023 needs to win 10 games. And the more I think about bowl season and these potential opponents, can't you just see it like in the worst fragments of your mind when you go to sleep at night and you close your eyes and you think about what Notre Dame is in 2023? Can't you just see this thing somehow plummeting to nine and four with the loss in that bowl game? Like if it's LSU or Tennessee or I don't think it'll be Texas at this point, but I don't know, like Oklahoma – the, the Pac 12's third or, or second or third best team. Any of those teams could beat this Notre Dame team for sure. And if it's nine and three, I want to see you guys in the comments right now, or nine and four, excuse me. That would be devastating. Like you said, Darren, to have a quarterback with all of these accolades and years and touchdowns and yards, and you finish nine and four. I mean, that can't happen. I mean, I, I think we all agree that Sam missed throws against Clemson. There were plays to be made yeah. that he did not hit on. He did not have a good day, but I also just feel like there's just week after week to see parts around him not producing championship caliber play or strategy or play calling, whatever. I think it weared on him. I think the inability for people to get open consistently at times has frustrated him. So I just – Sam did not play his best, but in order for any quarterback to be at a high level, you need people around him playing well. I mean, look at Patrick Mahomes. He's not having a Patrick Mahomes year this year with Kansas City. He's throwing a ton of interceptions. Their offense has been stagnant because he doesn't have the wide receivers that have the explosiveness that – he has had in the past. So you think about the personnel around him that has affected him. Well, I mean, that can happen at the college level. Now he's got Andy Reid to call his play. So that's that's pretty damn good. That's that's a pretty good place to start. But you can see even the great quarterbacks when the when the talent around him dips in their execution level and other parts around them fail, the job gets very, very difficult. And when the head coach says that he got spooked 
and then you didn't want to throw it? That's another chapter in a book we could talk about for 10 hours. No, I've thought about that quote a lot. Was it Sam Hartman who got spooked or was it Marcus Freeman and Jared Parker? That's a great point. Because I'm starting to think it might be the latter. And Jared Parker, is his game plan completely deviated away from whatever it might have been. I, I mean, it, early on it was to run the ball. And really, all I, I don't know. Well, I think it, it – Go ahead. No, I, I was just going to say, I think – I think within games, not just that Clemson game, but the whole spooked word, I know that's what people latched onto. I think there have been times this season where Jared Parker gets spooked and a game plan just completely falls apart because he's like, this isn't going to work. I know it's not going to work. I'm not going to do it. Play action is an example of that. Or Marcus said using that. Audrey Gessmeyer. You know what I mean? Marcus said that Monday. Again, go back to the Monday before Clemson. He was talking about we got to take shots. Even if they don't connect, we got to take shots. Well, there are two play action passes and 36 dropbacks against Clemson. So he was asked about the, the lack of a play action game. And he started talking about how, well, we couldn't afford to go three and out. So all of a sudden, taking those shots, even if they don't work, didn't seem to matter anymore because they were petrified they were going to go three and out. And I, you know, you look at the Broncos Bills game on Monday night. Denver used just a little play action because they were running it well. It wasn't like they were taking 50-yard shots. At times, it was just rolling the quarterback out and flipping it for a 7-8 yard gain. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be a massive play in play action. But, Tyler, when you know, as the opposition, that Notre Dame is probably going to run the ball on first down, you're not scared. You're not scared of that shot being taken over the top. So I, I just felt like the narrative changed a little bit on money. Like, well, we couldn't afford to do it because we couldn't afford to go three and out. So was that protecting Parker again? Was that a change in philosophy? Was that changing as the game went on? I am not quite sure, but I just thought that was a real interesting answer. I thought the three and out thing that Marcus kept saying on Monday, that was also a sticking point that stood out to me from the press conference. If you can't afford to go three and out, then stop running the running back into a seven or eight man wall on first down and expecting to get three, four, five yards. I mean, Mark Audrick Estime's efficiency dipped tremendously after the second series, the second, the first possession of that game. Why? It's because every time they ran him, it was the same situation. It was first down, you ran him into a wall. Okay, now it's second and nine. You throw an incomplete pass, now it's third and nine, and you're screwed. There's your three and out for you. When are they going to learn that you can't run up the middle on every single first down ever? It was 12 of 13, Darren, running plays on first downs to start that game. I think it finished like 13 to 15 or something like that. That's predictability. That's not good offense. That's not good offense. And what Marcus Freeman said on Monday was, if we're going to run those plays, then we need to execute them better. He, he could have stopped at if we're going to run those plays and asked a question, which, like you said, he seems to like to do, and say, hey, should we be running these plays? Probably not. You can't do the, the same thing on first down over and over and over. So that's where the title of this 
video and the first question that you see down there, I think a lot of that head, other head coaches who have had the experience that can identify and diagnose what's going wrong with an offense, their offense, the offense of their team, by now they would have said, hey, we have to change a bunch. Like we can't run it on first down over and over and over, and we can't do this, we can't do that. I don't think Marcus Freeman is yet in a position to say those things to his subordinates, and that's why we're getting the same thing over and over and over on Saturdays. I believe your colleague Jack Sobel had the stat that against Pittsburgh, what do they have, 173 passing yards off play action? And I yeah. saw somebody else come up with a stat for the season. Play action in the shotgun, Sam Hartman's 64% completion percentage this year. So if we want to talk about he's not comfortable or, as Marcus talked about, it's his first year in this system. I mean, when they've been in the shotgun and tried play action, 64% is a pretty good number. So that doesn't sound like a quarterback that's not comfortable to do that. Yeah, I think – I think this question or this uh, comment from Andrew Gilmore here can segue into uh, our second question. And then maybe we'll do the, uh, the second ad read after that, Darren. So let's just segue into the second question with this. I would rather see a run up the middle every play when your quarterback, he's talking about Sam Harbin, couldn't hit water if he fell out of a boat. Michigan's OC ran it 30 straight times in one, no discipline from Parker. How about the fact that Michigan's offensive line is probably going to win the Joe Moore Award for the third year in a row and the Notre Dame offensive line, which if you want to read that second question, Darren, is not on that level and it's missing a couple of guys. So what is that second question? They made the list, though. They made the what the they semifinals. They did make the uh, semifinals. It's like 12 of them, right? Yep. I think the, uh, the drop-off is pretty severe <laughs> from Michigan and everybody else. Indy 96 SC1 asks, hey, Horka, how concerning are the injuries to the offensive line? I think people are kind of glossing over this. I think it's fairly significant. I talked about it on your radio show the other night, Darren. Yes, Ashton Craig played really well. But what other choice did he have but to go in there and just play free, play loose? He, he had no idea that he was going to play such a significant role in that game. He's had two weeks to think about starting for the first time ever at this level as a sophomore. And Billy Shrouth can say the same right next to him at right guard starting in place of Rocco Spindler. So you have two first-time starters. You're not going up against some formidable defensive line. This isn't Ohio State. This isn't Clemson. Wake Forest doesn't really crank out highly ranked defensive line recruits. But, Darren, the last thing that you want to be doing is breaking in 40% of your offensive line in the penultimate game of the year. So I wouldn't say it's severely concerning, but I'd say it's moderately concerning. Like this is more than a mild thing that you're having to do, breaking in two new starters along the offensive line. And we've seen everyone wants to rag on Sam Hartman, and rightfully so at times. We, we mentioned it today. He wasn't very good against Clemson. He can be pretty bad when offensive line play is bad. So I think this is a, a fairly concerning development, this offensive line thing. I say this tongue-in-cheek, but with all the injuries, I guess we don't have to worry about rotating interior offensive linemen. I don't, I don't think they have enough to rotate this week, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, that's the thing, though. This this offensive line has been solid five across the board, except for that one Louisville thing. And now you're shaking up two fifths of it, forty percent. Brent Smith. I don't want to make a Patrick Starr joke here, but you might be uh, living under a rock. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, Rocco Spindler is out for the year with uh, was. Now I'm blanking. Now I'm Patrick Starr. Knee surgery, and then Zeke Carell is in concussion protocol, and Andrew Kristoffic, who would be the backup center, but it's looking like Ashton Craig. Um, Andrew Kristoffic is also a little bit banged up from what happened in that game against Clemson. Yeah, high ankle sprain. So, yeah, I mean, this is the point in the year where you see these types of things, but, man, when it rains, it pours right now for Notre Dame, and that's why I think it's a pretty significant deal where – Quarterback play has not been great. Uh, the running game on first down, if, if Marcus Freeman wants to talk about, hey, we need to block better on first down, well, now you're asking two true sophomores to do it starting their first career games. So, I mean, I don't know if this is at the top of the list of things that need to go right for Notre Dame to win. Or, I mean, they're, they're a huge favorite against Wake Forest for a reason. But if you're making a list of, hey, if this – if these things go terribly wrong, like unforeseen bad, it would be the offensive line playing like its worst game of the year. That that would invite inferior foes like Wake Forest and Stanford to maybe hang around. Because you talk about three and outs, you talk about your quarterback playing bad, that usually coincides with poor offensive line play. I'm just going to keep it short and sweet. Am I concerned about the offensive line this week? Absolutely. And with this offense being up and down and inconsistent every week with their starting five offensive linemen, why should I be excited about the fact that there's going to be changes to that offensive line and it's not going to affect everybody else? Because I mean, this offense right now is, I don't know if partially broken is fair. Maybe that's being unfair, but it's just extremely inconsistent. And if an inconsistent mm-hmm. offense with a starting five offensive linemen, is that way, then what's going to happen when you do this? So, yeah, I'm concerned. I I think it maybe makes the game a little more interesting than it should be, but hopefully I am dead wrong. I mean, I picked it 34 to 9, so it's not like I believe that Notre Dame's going to go 500 yards in this game. I mean, they gave up 147 yards per game on the ground, so I feel like there's a good chance, but with the changes to the offensive line and with how much they base their offense on, you know, running – behind the middle of that offensive line, then I hope things go well. I really, really do. But, yeah, hold your breath with that offensive line this week. Yeah, we could see a case of, you know, when a quarterback is playing bad, Darren, and everyone's like, well, the backup can't be much worse. Let's try him. Let's give him a shot. And he is, and the backup is just not even close to – as good as the starter and the starter was already bad. The last thing that you want is because I know there are some people that are down on Zeke Carell, um, Rocco Spindler. He's been good at times, but I like the word that you used inconsistent. There's been a lot of inconsistent line play across the board. There's probably a reason that Ashton Craig was number three on the depth chart. There's probably a reason that Billy Strouth was a starter going into the year and couldn't hang on to a starting spot. Like, don't be surprised on Saturday if you see some instances in the interior of that offensive line and you're like, whoa, how the heck did that Wake Forest guy get in the backfield? Or why is Audrick Estime being met three yards behind the line of scrimmage? Whatever it may be, 
this is the game that is going to kind of prove to you that these coaches are not as dumb as you think they are, and they have the right guys on the field. At that point, it is about execution. Marcus Freeman, you are right. It is about making your blocks. Zeke Carell, Rocco Spindler, <laughs> now Ashton Craig, and Billy Shrout. So, yeah, I think we could keep this conversation short, but I'm just going to say if you see instances like that on Saturday, then it's that that is what it is. These, these are backups getting starters reps for Notre Dame on Saturday on the Saturday after that. And then it sounds like even in the bowl game as well. All right, Tyler, let's move along to, I guess, something that could help people with their Christmas shopping. Yeah. I already mentioned Augie's locker room. That's in-person Christmas, Christmas shopping. Barb Stevenson has some uh, potential for you guys to get that stuff done online. These prints that I'm showing you here, she is selling those, and I'm going to tell you all about them. I think that they are a tremendous uh, stocking stuffer, or if you come down on Christmas morning and you see this over the mantle, under the tree, if you're a Notre Dame fan, your eyes are going to light up because this is Barb Stevenson's art, and her art is the premier destination for stunning pen and ink limited edition prints of the University of Notre Dame. South Bend's own award-winning artist, Barb Stevenson, skillfully captures the essence and beauty of Notre Dame's campus through her intricate pen and ink prints, which she meticulously enhances with hand-painted metallic gold accents, making each print unique and one of a kind. Explore her fabulous selection of prints to discover the perfect piece that resonates with your love for Notre Dame. So she's got some new ones here. I'm gonna show you guys four of them. Uh, this one is called Notre Dame Collage Iconic Trio. It's called the trio, of course, because you, you see Touchdown Jesus there. You see the Golden Dome, and you also see the Basilica of the Sacred Heart. So really, when you think Notre Dame, you go to Notre Dame's campus. I had some family that was visiting me in October, Darren, and we walked on campus with them for the first time. Those are absolutely three of the places that you have to take them. Uh, and, and, I mean, they were wowed. It, this is the, the type of stuff that really captures what we saw there. This as well, obviously you see the dome there in the distance, the Basilica of the Sacred Heart there in the distance, but this one is definitely focusing in on the grotto. I've taken people to the grotto and I've literally seen them cry, like tears stream down their face because if you are a religious person, a spiritual person, uh, spending even 10 minutes, 15 minutes at the grotto, it, it'll make your day. And then with Barb Stevenson art here, it's a chance to bring that magic, to bring that spirituality home to your living room. I think that's an amazing thing. This is the iconic, uh, when you think Notre Dame, you think postcard of Notre Dame, you think that shot right down Notre Dame Avenue, or obviously even a little bit closer to the Golden Dome, but there's that one for you. And then uh, the fourth one there is a little bit um, with the trees and the ambiance there, a little bit farther away from the Golden Dome, but those are her four newest prints. Those are her four newest options for you guys to get somebody for Christmas, the holidays, whatever it may be. You can find that stuff at barbstevenson.com. That's Stevenson with the P-H, B-A-R-B-S-T-E-P-H-E-N-S-O-N.com. Or call her at 574-210-8388. Now through the holidays, so through the end of the year, you will get free shipping anywhere in the continental United States. So again, go to Augie's Locker Room if you want to get that Christmas shopping done in person. If you want to get it done online, I recommend barbstevenson.com because I mean, I can just see it like sitting over someone's office, like right, right over their, um, their desk. It, if you want to look at something beautiful all day, there you have it. Barbstevenson.com. 
I think a lot of people for Christmas might be, well, it's going to be too late for Christmas, but asking for the Pac-12 network so they can watch the Notre Dame Stanford game. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if I've spent five minutes on the, the Pac-12 network. So I've never I'm glad I'll it. be at that game. I'm glad, glad I'll be there. Press box will be my viewing opportunity. I just wonder who the broadcasters are going to be. Not sure. Apparently ESPN passed on the game. They took the UCLA-Cal game over Notre Dame-Stanford. UCLA team that's about to fire its head coach, right? <laughs> I was shocked by it. I thought he had it kind of going a little bit, but maybe not. Well, there's a lot of places not messed around. If there's a part of the team that's failing, they're getting rid of them. I mean, well, heck, look at the Buffalo Bills. They fired their offensive coordinator. Yeah. After they averaged 7.4 yards per play last night. Not his fault. His guys turned the ball over, but. That's a story yep. for another. Okay, our final Hey Horka question for tonight from Nighthawk Notre Dame fan. <laughs> Did Notre Dame waste a national championship caliber defense this year? I'm going to say no, but Notre Dame had the next best thing. I think the, this was a college football playoff caliber defense at best. If you take the whole season, top 10 defense for sure. So we're talking – 2024 college football playoff defense because there'll be 12 teams in that playoff. And this is one of the 12 best defenses in the country. Do you think, Darren? That's fair. I, I would say definitely top 20, but I'll go with top 12. I mean, they it are scores. the team of seven and three. Yeah. It's a defense that scores. It's a defense that takes the ball away. It's a defense that, Forces enough three and outs it has gotten better with pressuring the quarterback throughout the year. Like if you're looking at the Notre Dame defense in mid-November, it's really hard to pinpoint a big time flaw. At the beginning of the year, it was where are the sacks, where are the sacks. And Marcus Freeman kind of, he was assuring everybody, we don't need the sacks. Like we're going to be fine. And it turned out to be the case because I think pressure has turned into Xavier Watts interceptions Remember when pass, the passes defended, passes broken up was, was like the huge chatter last year, Darren? That's not the case this year. I think Benjamin Morrison has 10 of those on his own. So he only has the two picks, but he's always around the ball. Xavier Watts is always around the ball. The linebackers say what you want about them. They've had – those graduate students have had their best years at Notre Dame. The defensive line, I mean, Javante Jean-Baptiste has been awesome. Maybe the one thing that it's missing – is a Viper that will just go, go, go at the quarterback every single play. You lost that with Isaiah Foskey. You don't have it in Botello, Burnham, or Tui Halamaka. So maybe that's the one hole, but it hasn't really mattered because the rest of the defensive line has been good. So if you get back to the question at hand, didn't waste a national caliber, national championship caliber defense. I don't think it was that good, but man, this defense was really good. And this defense was good enough to win that Ohio State game. At times, played well enough to beat Louisville and Clemson too. Like this should be a one-loss. You maybe win that Ohio State game and you win one of Louisville or Clemson. I, I think this should be a one-loss Notre Dame team, and the reason that it's not is is not because of the defense. The defense has been a one-loss defense, has it not? Yeah. Can I ask this, Tyler? Just. Based on what you saw, I know you saw more spring practice than fall practice, but if you want to combine the two, were you expecting 
the defense to be better than the offense when you watch the two go head to head? I mean, was it obvious that the defense was going to be the better unit when you had the chance to watch? So there's a caveat in that because they don't like to show us a whole lot from the offense in those practices. So we really see some really base stuff, but absolutely, man. I mean, Darren, do you remember the point in the spring where I was worried sick about Sam Hartman and then, Hey, what do you know? It's kind of showed up here in season. I mean, there was a point in the spring where I was like, this Sam Hartman thing is really not working out right now. I have full confidence that it will, but right now he doesn't look good. And maybe that was a little more foreboding than I gave it credit for because I was chalking it up to new surroundings, new scheme, new system, new coaches. Everything's new. He'll be fine. It kind of looked that way in the fall at times, but he had clearly separated himself, especially since Tyler Buckner had left. Like Sam Hartman was alpha male QB1 in the fall. But now thinking about it, yeah, I I think we should have known that the defense was going to be really good. I just didn't know that the offense was going to be this poor, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, our big concern was the pass rush. And that the pass rush probably is the one thing keeping it from truly saying a national championship defense. Yeah. When you have to rely on the blitz, I mean, offenses hurt blitzes. So that, that probably keeps me from going all in on the national championship talk. But if we're talking about a 12-team playoff, yeah. It's a defense that I would trust against most of the teams in college football. I mean, they went up against Ohio State with those two great wide receivers and were one second away from winning. So Al Golden did a fabulous job. And unfortunately, because of the greatness this year, his agent's going to be very busy probably in about two weeks. I just want to know. And he'll never tell us this because it's all about keeping it coy, whether you're a coach or a player in this type of situation, whatever. What what does Al Golden want? Because if he can become a head coach, okay, he's probably gone. Head coaching opportunities arise all the time. But if this is what he wants to do, be a defensive coordinator, live in the shadows a little bit. I mean, when things are rolling for you as a coordinator – Let's just say this. It's a lot easier to be Al Golden on November 14th, 2023, than it is Jared Parker, okay? And that's due to him coaching the crap out of this season. I mean, I mean that in the best way possible. I mean, he has done a tremendous coaching job, busting his you-know-what. If that's what he wants to do, he could keep doing this at Notre Dame for a long time, hope that the offense gets figured out, and then – you have that complimentary football that everyone is looking for. Offense, defense, best of both worlds. <laughs> Notre Dame is a player in the playoffs. But if he's looking at this and he is trying to parlay it into the next thing, whether that be the NFL or a college head coaching job, I, I don't see him doing the college head coaching thing again. I really don't. But I could see him wanting to do this, what he's doing right now, in the NFL. Because if you remember – when Notre Dame poached him from Cincinnati, he wasn't yet a defensive coordinator in the NFL. He was a defensive assistant, primarily coaching the linebackers. If this is his audition to NFL teams saying, hey, man, I could do this for you guys at your level. I know what I'm doing here. I'm a coach. I'm not a recruiter. 
And he's a de- they're all decent recruiters at this point. But if he doesn't want to do that aspect of the game, the NFL is calling his name. And I think there's a team that would take a chance on him or at least let him in the door and work his way back up to that. So it all depends on what he, what he wants, right, Darren? Because what he's done in the last month, I think he's earned the right, like you said, for that agent's phone to go off and him kind of choose what he does next. I guess best case for Notre Dame, Maybe they offer him associate head coach and a raise, give him more responsibilities if he wants that. I mean, I think that's the least you can do, trying to keep him. But obviously, if if he wants some other opportunities like you described, he's probably going to have most of those. And if he wants to be a defensive coordinator in college and just try somewhere else, based on where you're from, I think you know where I'm going with this, but there are plenty of SEC teams with bagfuls of money that would probably try to induce him like Texas A&M did with Mike Elko back in the day. Yeah, and Andrew Gilmore is right there with you. Andrew, appreciate you being so active in the chat. He says, yeah, SEC is probably calling Al Golden's name. Texas, Oklahoma are in the conference. They would probably give him a shot. Um, If he's looking for the money – I heard that Lincoln Riley needs a new defensive coordinator. I'm not saying he's going there, but opportunities abound is the point that we're making here. Um, It would be a real kick in the face for Notre Dame if they lost this guy to another college program, though. I mean, he's doing it all here. Notre Dame has the top 15 defense in the country, top 10 maybe, and he says, yeah, I don't want to do it here anymore. I'm going to go do the same exact thing at – inter sec school name here for a program that's notre dame that's needing all it can get on the positive news front in the coordinator realm oh that would be bad i mean if if we're standing here when spring ball starts in march and somehow jared parker is still this team's offensive coordinator and al golden is not this team's defensive coordinator oh man yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of people putting their face in their hands, just like you just did, Darren. Wow. <laughs> Take a deep breath. I don't want to end the show with that, man. We got to give me something, tell a joke or something. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm, I ain't got any jokes up the sleeve. This is, this is serious talk here, Darren. <laughs> yeah, it's, It's going to be a newsy December and January for those of you that subscribe to Blue and Gold Illustrate. I mean, think about what we have coming up. The golden possible decision. If he leaves, we've got a job search. What happens? I'm kind of convinced I know what's going to happen with the Parker thing, but maybe something happens. The search for a quarterback. Who's going to be interested in coming to Notre Dame and following Hartman and joining Parker as offensive coordinator? And I also think we have to strongly consider – the thought of, you know, kids departing and going somewhere else looking for more playing oh, yeah. time. So it is going to be a busy, busy weeks and months leading up to spring practice getting underway. And there's probably things I'm not even thinking of that are going to pop up. <laughs> yes. We have to have a, a 12th game for next year, which we assume is going to be Army, but that hasn't been announced yet either. Good point. Good point. Other on that. That, and, yeah. and maybe Notre Dame plays LSU in a bowl game. On top of all of that. 
Yeah, a buddy of mine. So we reintroduced Brian Kelly back into our lives. Yeah, I had a good friend on my show who talked to people that are in kind of the know, and they said LSU might want to dodge Notre Dame, which wouldn't shock me. I mean, I lived with Texas A&M and Texas dodging each other for 10, 12 years or whatever it was, and finally they're playing each other again. So, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if – I wouldn't be surprised if Notre Dame didn't want to play LSU because one, you don't want to lose to that coach. Mm-hmm. Two, I don't know if you're going to be in a position to beat that team. Like that's a good team offensively for sure. I have not looked up big picture items, but would, would Jaden Daniels play in that game? That's the deciding know. factor on who wins the yeah. game. Let's be honest. Oh yeah. Yes. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Maybe. If he did, oh boy. But just like I said last week, as much as it would suck for Notre Dame to lose that game, oh, I think it could do a lot for the Irish if they want it. Beat that coach, beat that team. I mean, there's multiple coaches down there that you want to beat. You want to beat Logan Diggs. Like, all of it is a factor. It's an SEC team, too. Like, beating an SEC school – Always plays. Last year, Notre Dame beat South Carolina, and they tried to lean into that as much as they could. South Carolina's meh. It doesn't matter much, but, I mean, it's beating LSU would would mean something. So, as a media person, I want that game. I saw uh, Drunk Vigo. I'm not sure what you're drinking tonight, but I'll have what you're having because he says I'm down for LSU in a bowl game. So am I, man. Bring it on. It's the only thing that probably makes for an exciting game after the holidays. So, otherwise, I'm not sure a matchup. I don't know. Tennessee, they're not the same Tennessee as last year. So, I mean, they got smoked by Missouri and Columbia last week. Yeah. It'd be fun to play them. That's the fake UT anyway, Darren. Uglier orange and, yeah, it's not the real UT. On that note, I'm done. <laughs> All right. Should we That's sign it, off? Tonight? Yeah, I think this was an efficient one. The Notre Dame offense needs to be more efficient. We were efficient tonight. Got this thing done in less than an hour. And I thought we hit on everything that we wanted to hit on in those three questions as well. So they That's how you do great. it right there. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. All right. Well, enjoy, everybody, the Notre Dame-Wake Forest game. And we'll be back next week, sometime, some channel, to talk some more Notre Dame football leading into Stanford. So for those of you that may not be with us next week, happy Thanksgiving to you and your families. Otherwise, for the rest of you, we will talk to you next week with another installment of Hey Horka here on the Blue and Gold YouTube channel. We'll say good night and go Irish. And we might have to do a, uh, a little Thanksgiving dish ranking next week darren so i'm gonna gonna put you on the spot for that let's do that thanksgiving week we'll bring some uh pizzazz to the show but yeah we'll see y'all then happy thanksgiving